Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus said to his disciples, Be watchful. Be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It is like a man traveling abroad. He leaves home and places his servants in charge, each with his own work, and orders the gatekeeper to be on the watch. Watch, therefore. You do not know when the Lord of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or in the morning. May he not come suddenly and find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, watch. The Gospel of the Lord. When we come together, I feel the Lord's presence. And I feel that we are his disciples. And week by week, he takes a new lesson for us to keep moving along through his teaching, which, of course, is his Holy Gospel. This Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, we're beginning a whole new liturgical year. And with the new liturgical year, we begin a whole new gospel. You would recall, of course, that this last year we studied the gospel of Matthew. And at this coming year, we hear the gospel of Mark. So let's say just a few things about first the gospels and then Mark specifically. You know, there are some people today who have formed what is called the Jesus Seminar. Have you heard of the Jesus Seminar? Form a group of scholars who have come together around the world to look at the different verses in the gospel specifically and to look at what did Jesus really say? What do we know for sure he would have are his very words? And of course, they go through with a fine comb of their own scholarship and research, and it's very difficult to know exactly what Jesus said, because the Gospels are written in three stages of development. Now, the first stage, of course, you could guess, is Jesus' very life and teaching. But nobody was there with a tape recorder, and nobody was there taking notes. They would just listen carefully and, and then take to heart all that he was teaching. The second stage of the gospel development was when the apostles went out preaching the message, just as Jesus instructed them. They heard what he had said. Now they wanted to go and do what he said, share that word with his life and death and resurrection to others. So that's the second phase of gospel development where the disciples preached about Jesus. And then the third phase of gospel development is when the evangelists started to write down what the apostles had been preaching for some time because they realized that the early eyewitnesses, the early disciples of Jesus, were starting to die off. 
And so they didn't want to lose any of the great memory, the legacy, the spirituality of Jesus gave to them. And so they began to write it down. Now, Mark was the first to write a gospel, scholars tell us. Can you guess what year it was? Anybody know? 70 AD. Now, mind you, that's 40-some years after Jesus would have died. So that's a while. And for 40 years, his memory was talked about and preached. And, of course, they were a society of an oral tradition. They were accustomed to passing on stories. You might have in mind roots. Remember the story of Alex Haley talking about how his ancestry went all the way back to Africa. But they were in oral or oral society. They were accustomed to passing on stories. And these stories preserve the memory. Now, whether it was the exact same word, we don't know, but we trust that the Holy Spirit guided the collection of these stories and the preservation of the stories and, of course, the writing down of the story. So, that is what we believe is when the evangelist Mark sat down in 70 AD to write his story, he collected from these stories and sayings of Jesus, the way he was born and the way he suffered and died and rose from the dead, all that was put into writing under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So I say all that to realize that in going back, we want to always keep in mind what influenced the writer of the gospel because he was, like any good speaker, had a specific community in mind and was trying to speak to very specific concerns that that community were struggling with. So we look at Mark. And does anybody know who Mark was? Was Mark one of the 12 apostles? No. We first hear about Mark in Acts of the Apostles, He's referred to as John Mark, and he was a nephew of, anybody know? Of Barnabas. And Barnabas, you might know, was one of the first companions of St. Paul, and he took his nephew Mark with him on the first missionary journey with St. Paul. But soon after they began, just as they were heading into Asia Minor, for some reason, John Mark decided he had enough and went home. So that when they began the second missionary journey and Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along, Paul said, no way. And they got into a real heated argument. And believe it or not, they split their company at that point. And Barnabas went off with his nephew Mark in one direction, and Paul took Silas in a whole different direction. But evidently they reconciled and came back together because at the end of Paul's life, we see it's John Mark who's visiting him in the prison in Rome. It was in his last few days. And in his letter he wrote to Timothy, he was asking, bring John Mark with you to Rome because he is a faithful servant of mine. So that's who John Mark is. Now remember what I said about the phases of development of a gospel. Before the writing of the gospel, evangelists would have been affected or influenced by the preaching of the gospel. Would anybody know whose preaching affected Mark's writing? It was St. Peter, probably. At least that's what we're told by one of the early church fathers, second century, by the name of Papias, who said that Mark was Peter's interpreter. We imagine that's true because there's nowhere in any of the other Gospels where we have so much embarrassing details about Peter's life than in Mark. And we figure it's from the horse's mouth himself, you know. 
he would know better than anyone and would have told these stories on himself. And so in all improbability, although it's debated, of course, Mark was one of the great interpreters of Peter. When Mark finally wrote his gospel, again, he didn't have in mind that someday his gospel would be published and then distributed throughout the world. He had one single community in mind. You know where this was? In Rome, where the Christians were undergoing great deal of persecution. In fact, Nero was not only persecuting them, he was executing them. This is very important, as we bear in mind throughout these readings from Mark, that he's trying to address this community undergoing great difficulty in order to encourage them and to remind them that this is the cost of discipleship. And so the theme of Mark's gospel is the cross, that Jesus is the one who suffered and died and rose for our sake, and anyone who wants to be his follower must also deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. That's the underlying theme we're here again and again, even as we will briefly reflect on today. The Gospel of Mark is the shortest of all the Gospels, 16 chapters. It's the most action-filled. It begins right away at the public life of Jesus, takes us all the way to the empty tomb. And from beginning to end, there's a sense of urgency. He writes all about these powerful teachings and healings of Christ, as if to say, And this is what the Lord is wanting to do in our midst today. So with that as a brief background, we look at today's gospel, and Jesus begins the words. Uh, This is not in our passage, but I'd like to bring us two verses prior to what we read. Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Isn't that interesting? Because what I just said about the gospel development and appreciating all that it had to do to preserve this memory and the teaching of Christ, Jesus says, my words will not pass away. That's why we can trust in the inspiration of these great words and stories we read in the gospel. But Jesus says, but as for the day or the hour, referring to the end of time, No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, not even the Son of God, but only the Father. Isn't this interesting that Jesus insists he does not know the end of the world? So I'd like to know how all these other people know when the end of the world's going to (laughs) be. Jesus seems to suggest or implies that does it really matter when the end is? We should be looking at the end of our life. And does it matter when the end of our life is? Yes, insofar as how we ought to be living right here and now. The often quoted uh, Stephen Covey, great author, said, always begin with the end in mind. Every task we do in life, we ought to keep in mind the goal, the mission, the purpose by which we're setting out. And that's what's in Jesus' mind as he is facing his death, He's giving, in this gospel passage today, his last instructions to his disciples. So this is very important, huh? And he's saying, in so many words, keep the end in mind. Keep always before you what really matters. I happen to think of Cardinal Bernadine, who just before, in his last few months of his death and dying process, he gathered a priest of the archdiocese together. And in that last time with the priest, he prayed with them. And in that prayer, he said a few words to them. He said, you know, I look back over my life, 
And I've come to realize that maybe as much as 20% of what I've spent my life doing really doesn't matter that much. It's more peripheral. And I like to think that as I look closer to the end of my life, I see what matters most. Another priest who heard him later said, Cardinal, are you sure it's only 20%? For most of us, for most of us, it's a lot more. What we need to be asking ourselves, if we knew our life was soon to end, what would we let go of? And what would we really go for? This is what we need to look at. What matters most? Begin with the end in mind. And what is that end but to be one with the Lord? And so Jesus says, so wake up, everybody. Wake up to what really matters in life. Wake up to what our priorities really ought to be. He says it in these words. Jesus said to his disciples, be constantly on the watch. Stay awake. You do not know when the appointed time will come. But as we read the Gospels, we recognize the appointed time is right now. In Greek, there's two words that are used. Time is seen as chronos, from which we have the word chronology. It's one thing after another, one day after another. But in the scriptures, they use kairos, which means appointed or anointed time. Any time and every time we experience the Lord, it's very meaningful and purposeful. So this time right here is the appointed time. It's our appointment with the Lord. And it's to lead us on. Then Jesus tells this brief parable. Again, remember, he's talking to an oral society. No one's taking notes. He wants to tell stories because they will remember these stories, as surely they did. And with the stories comes a powerful point, which you can guess. He says, a man is traveling abroad, leaves home, places his servants in charge. Each one has their own task. And he tells them, watch with a sharp eye. Obviously, you can determine immediately who the master is in this analogy. is Jesus himself, who soon will be departing. And his servants are, of course, the disciples. And each of us have a certain task, a certain mission we have been given. But we need to stay awake to what our mission is. How easy it is, like Colonel Burning said, to be preoccupied, distracted by so many things. And oddly, in this season of preparation more than any, in this season where we prepare for the coming of Christ. And you know, Advent, we remember not only the first coming of Christ 2,000 years ago, but the second coming of Christ. And he comes to us even to this day. How do we prepare for that? We have to wake up to the ways the Lord is with us. We have to be aware of how he is ever present. And so Jesus goes on with the parable to say, you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether at dusk, at midnight, when the cock crows, or early dawn. Okay, pause a moment to highlight those four times. Those are the four typical times in ancient Palestine that were considered the four watches of the night. And I would suggest that each of those are loaded with meaning. Insofar as Mark recalls those watches of the night, keep in mind the word watch of the night, because the disciples are constantly falling asleep during those watches. And Jesus is trying to awaken and alert them 
to the meaning of what will be happening as he anticipates his passion and death. And so it begins. What happens at the dusk during Jesus' passion is the Last Supper. When they're gathered together and they don't really know what's happening. They're not fully conscious of what's taking place at the time. And Judas even leaves. Leaves his faith. Leaves the presence. Leaves the table. Or as some priest said, he was the first one to leave church early. <laughs> to go off to betray Jesus. And then the second watch, midnight. Jesus gathers his disciples together in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And remember, his last request to them, stay awake. Stay awake. And how do we stay awake? Pray with me. So we're realizing this watchfulness, this vigilance, is a spiritual awakening and awareness. And how do we keep that? But to prayer kind of moves us to that place where we recognize the Lord and what is the Lord asking of us and doing with us and in us. But the disciples were falling asleep. They kept falling asleep. It's human nature to fall asleep. But realize there's a whole lot more happening here. What are they asleep to? They're really asleep to everything that's going on in terms of what Jesus is asking, of Jesus' own suffering, of their own responsibility. They're like totally unconscious and seemingly unconcerned about Jesus' great agony, even as we might be. Huh? And the Lord's always trying to awaken us to each other. Then the third watch of the night was the cock crow. Of course, you realize what a loaded image that is in the gospel for the time when Peter denied Jesus, could not, could not stay awake in his faith. But again, Peter denying him, going off into the dark of the night. And again, at early dawn on Easter Sunday morning, the last watch of the night, when the apostles were gathered together in that locked behind doors of doubt and fear, the women come and tell the disciples Jesus has risen, but they can't believe it. Still, their faith is lacking. What we're seeing, and Mark is wonderful because you'd have to wonder, why does Mark tell us these very embarrassing details about the disciples? You know, it's the tendency for anybody, especially for any country, to want to make their leaders and their founding fathers into bronzed heroes, to make them look like, you know, they've never done anything wrong. To make them like we make our saints, kind of plastic saints canonized and put them up on a high pedestal. Why is it that Mark makes the disciples look so human, so frail, so faulting, except that the instruction and the impression is so, so helpful to us today? It reflects how we struggle and falter along. This is why I love the Gospels, that it presents a realistic view. We are the disciples today, learning what it means to follow Jesus, to take up our cross. But the disciples didn't want to hear this. That's why throughout the whole Gospel, they're almost always, as it were, sleepwalking in following Jesus. They're following him, but it's always at a distance, like during the Passion. And even when they are following, they're really not getting it. They're half awake half aware. And so it isn't until the resurrection will come when they're given this light and the dawn brings that light of new faith and new awareness. Now, all of this, of course, applies to Mark's community. Remember, Mark is taking all these events that have happened 
And he's telling his community why, because they too are going through the same kind of difficulty. They are a period of great crisis. Many of them are being called to lay their life down for their faith. And they're scared to death, like the disciples. So Mark says, remember what Jesus said to his disciples? Stay awake, be on guard, for surely we do not know if we will be called to death, but we should live for the Lord. Remember what the Lord promised? He would be with us, he would come back for us and lead us to eternal life. Mark is encouraging them. So today, this gospel has, I think, special meaning for anyone going through any kind of difficulty. This leads us into the whole purpose of Advent season. I think that for us, too, we could look at these words that Mark gives us, that Jesus first gave to his disciples, as a way of a kind of a wake-up call for all of us to remind us what our life is really all about. That in this Advent season, a time when we especially prepare for Christ's coming, we realize how quickly Christ at his Christmas can come upon us and we could be unprepared. Most of us wouldn't ever want uh, Christmas to come to us if we didn't have all the other preparations. But what about the spiritual preparations? I'd like to offer just a suggestion of what might be considered some wake-up exercises for the Advent season. What can help us really be mindful of the reason for the season of Advent and Christmas? What will lead us truly closer to the light of Christ, where he comes to us? I just offer a few suggestions. First, Thanksgiving Day provides for many of us a perfect occasion to have some discussion with our family. Maybe, how would it be if we raise the question, how can we as a family or friends celebrate Christmas this year in a special spiritual way? How can we celebrate Christmas perhaps in a less material or commercial way and hopefully a more meaningful way? Not to say we shouldn't buy gifts for each other, but how can we make those gifts more simple and more heartful, beautiful gifts? How could we be a present to each other, especially to the relatives we overlook, maybe giving more of our time? How can we offer a gift to the poor? We remember Christ came to be poor. We heard last week, in fact, whatever we do to the poor, we do for Christ. How could we as family at Christmas time pray together? How about through the Advent season, praying the rosary, reading the scriptures together? How could we maybe as family come to Christmas mass or service together? What could we do as family to make this year a little more spiritual and meaningful? How about asking that question? How about broaching the subject? It isn't easy, but I just suggest it to our attention. Secondly, implied in this is to get to Christmas takes a few steps, a few strategies. How can we make a special effort this Advent season to pray? To pray individually or as a family? To spend that time of quiet? You know, someone said, we must prepare the manger. Consider your heart as a manger that must be open and ready 
sturdy but soft, that we must build an empty spot in our calendar, in our family, in our schedule, to make time for the Lord to come, that we look for the Lord in simple little ways in which the Lord always comes, even in a stable, mind you, the barest, simplest, poorest way. When we take time to pray this way, then we realize how Christ is always coming and he speaks like a baby would, softly and subtly, humbly, in little ways, he comes to us and cries for our attention. Perhaps another way we could celebrate ourselves, this Advent season we soon begin, is by taking in hand the Gospel of Mark. Since it's only 16 chapters, could I recommend to your attention, some of you who would be so willing, to read through the entirety of the gospel? Have you ever read a whole gospel all the way through? You know, it was never divided into chapters and verses to the Middle Ages. It was meant to be one reading of good news. Mark begins his gospel. Here begins the good news. That Mark was the first one to use that word in, in Greek. It's eongelion, from which we have the word gospel. Here's good news. Here's good news. Remind you, it's, it's to a people who hear nothing but bad news every day because of the way they're being persecuted and suffering and dying for their faith. He tells them this good news of Jesus. So maybe if we could read the gospel, reflect on the gospel, maybe every day take a moment to do that. Cardinal Bernadine so inspired me as he began every single day praying the first hour of the day with the Lord. And in that time, offering himself for the Lord to use him however he wishes through the day. We may not have an hour, but how about a few minutes, even maybe a half hour, to take with the Lord, with the gospel at hand? One final thought. What about being aware of where someone is hurting and suffering? There is Christ. There is Christ, as we heard last week in the beautiful gospel. We need to respond Go to those in our own family or among our own relatives and friends and be Christ to them. Extend Christ's kindness to them and Christ will come back to us through them, surely. Just some of my thoughts. I'd like to end on this suggestion that we would all just take a minute right now and try to determine, realizing this is just the beginning of our thinking, what one thing could we do this Advent that would lead us and perhaps hopefully others closer to Christ? What one thing could we do or try to be in this Advent season that would bring us to the Christmas season of experiencing Christ? Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.